Well, um, welcome everyone. My name is Ryan. I'm a pastor here at City Beautiful Church, and I'm really excited for tonight because not only are we in this series called Loving Community, um, exploring what does it mean for us to be the family of God, and I get to share one of my absolute favorite concepts with you, but I also get to share one of my absolute favorite people in the world. This is Kay Elise Green. Give her a round of applause. So Kay is one of maybe three people in this entire uh, community who have actually seen me cry. And uh, yeah. (laughs) So, and she will be the only one that will ever see me cry. So, don't don't let the. What basically what we're saying tonight is don't let anybody get too close to you. Always maintain a certain amount of professional distance, because you'll just ugly cry. Just kidding. That's opposite of what we're saying. Uh, Anyway, um, so. So Kay, uh, Kay is joining me for this, and today, you know, we're in this series called Loving Community, and we're exploring all these different facets, like, okay, we, we have this foundation in Christ, um, that he, is, he has saved us, he's rescued us, he's redeemed us, and he's called us to be the people of God. He's reuniting God's family. And so now we're looking in this series, well, what does it mean for, well, for us to be that well? How do we truly understand what it means for us to be loving community? How are we called to love one another, to reveal God to one another, to reflect God back to each other? And so today, um, what we're going to be talking about is that loving community celebrates unity in diversity. That's what we're going to be looking at. Loving community celebrates unity in diversity. Um, And there's this old adage that's been around in the church for uh, centuries. We think it probably goes back to the 17th century. Uh, And it says this, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and in all things charity. We're going to be using that kind of as our guide tonight as we explore how we're invited to celebrate unity and diversity. Uh, and I love this, this phrasing because it's this unity in the essentials. What are the foundational markers that make us the people of God, that make us Christians? And those are the things that draw us together from, from every type of story and background. We gather into this place and around the world and we're called the family of God. Um, But even within that, there's liberty in the non-essentials, or another way to say that there's freedom in the non-essentials. There's an opportunity for us as people who are unified in Christ to explore within our own stories, our expression of Christianity, our beliefs, to offer that up to one another. And it becomes this ongoing conversation within the church that we have a certain amount of freedom to, and kind of that foundational element in all things charity, in all things love. That we are bound together because of the love that God has for us. And so in turn, that becomes the platform for us to love one another well and to carry on those conversations um, that stem out of freedom and liberty. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Unity, diversity, and then finally, charity. Um, So I was so excited to talk about this with Kay because um, she's one of the people that I've been in community with for the longest time here. We're almost four years now. We've been in a home group together. And um, why don't you just... Talk about our friendship. So Ryan and I are incredibly similar in really interesting ways, but also miles apart. Um, And so both of us, he's Irish, my mom's Jamaican, so we all hail to the queen. We're part of the Commonwealth. Um, We have this deep love for just being old souls and soul music, but we also have these incredible differences of like his scary rock and roll and just like being the little (laughs) complexities that I always find out that I'm continually amazed by him, and when we first started our house church, I had a connection with everyone. I was like, this, and I was the first time I was in intentional community, but Ryan, I was like, listen, he's not gonna ruin this little call of the Lord for me. <laughs> this is right after I moved here, by the way, so I'm just making friends as we're going. Yeah, and I was like, we're gonna be friends. 
And so I made this decision, and I prayed for Ryan day in and day out, because like, you can't force a friendship, but I want to pray over him. And it was for the littlest things, like, like may you wake up feeling really great today. Like, all these little things, and it's built this deep foundational level of our friendship that four years later, you're probably one of the closest people that I have in this community. And it's just been this really sweet thing, how we've grown together, but also been like, wow, all right. And like, just taking it as it comes. So, it's been fun. It has been fun. Yeah. Um, So the first thing that we want to look at is unity. Loving community leads us to a single-mindedness, a common pursuit of God. Now, a lot of times, perhaps your story in church goes something like this. Unity is when we all agree on exactly the same things, we all believe the same things, and then we all do those same things together. And that's what's often communicated to us as unity. And the problem with that is that whenever there's any sort of difference, any sort of nuance in the way that we worship or how we believe, whatever it might be, we feel like there's a disunity that we somehow have to overcome. And we're paralyzed because what we're not finding is this grounding of our relationship is the mutual intellectual stimulation that we all agree on the following 95 theses in order to be in community together. But as I've been preparing for this this message, um, I was looking over the, the writings of Paul and seeing, well, Here's the kind of the foundation of Christianity, and how did they pursue this idea of single-mindedness? What were they really looking for? Was there some sort of doctrinal agreement that you had to sign in order to be in connection with those early churches? Were there agreed-upon forms of worship that you weren't allowed to deviate from? Was there all of this mutual same language that everybody had to use before you were allowed to be part of the community? And what I found is really amazing that, that Paul had a very different idea of what single-mindedness means for us to be of one heart and one mind. That it's less about intellectual affirmation, and it's more about our common pursuit of God. And that flowing out of that common pursuit of God, that we're, we're agreeing to go on the journey together, that we're in common pursuit of one another. And so we're going to be focusing in on this portion of Ephesians chapter 4 that I think speaks this so beautifully. Um, so this is going to be starting in the first verse. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now this is what single-mindedness looks like in Paul's eyes. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope which you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So for Paul, unity is something, it's not something that you and I choose to manufacture It's something that we've been chosen into because we recognize we've been unified in Christ Jesus. I think this is so important for us to recognize when we talk about unity. When we think that unity is something that we produce, and then one of our brothers or sisters in Christ does something we don't like, we just get to cut them out of our lives. And that's true of individuals and it's true of communities. That if we don't like what the first church of whatever is doing down the road, well, we just have to, we don't have to even acknowledge that they're part of the family. And it's very convenient for us to start cutting people out of our lives and out of the fellowship that we don't think meet the grade. But what we see here in Paul is he's saying, no, you have been chosen into unity. It has been chosen for you. And the challenge to you and I is, do you want to work that out in your life? Do you want to come into agreement with the unity that you have in Christ and allow that to, to guide what really means to be loving community? And I think this is so important that we really learn how to take that seriously. 
You know, several times through this series, we've been talking about uh, this, this model of family that we've been given. And, and I've said before that, you know, you were given your, your siblings, your brothers and your sisters. And maybe you guys get in an argument. Maybe you don't see the world the same way. Maybe even you've stopped communicating with them and you've cut them out of your life. But they will never not be your brother or your sister. Never not be your brother or your sister. And there's a certain kind of power and authority that comes in that sort of relationship. And it's the same kind of relationship that you and I are called to within the church. Do you have anything you want to say on that? Um, I really love what the experience is coming up next for that. But I was spent the day with Andre. Some of you may know him. And the, our friendship has this undertone of unity. Our lives look nothing alike. I am in medicine and business and Andre does freelance and film and photography and video. And our worlds, despite their diverging paths, always connect on this core reality. They settle into these roots that are unmovable. And we talked about how love and relationship and just people in our lives that we're watching go through the ups and downs of that. And how this is a core movement in our unity for each other bypasses the differences in where we are and creates a foundation that whether he's in sort of a six-week stint getting a video out and I'm usually in a study cave somewhere trying to get ready for a test or preparation, there's this underlying connection that is founded in Christ that really allows us to move through life together in a place that's together. Whether it looks and firmly sees what's out there differently or the same is different, but it it binds us underneath, yeah. And I think there's a really key difference for us to understand between unity and uniformity. I think a lot of times when we're taught about unity, what people are really calling us to is uniformity. And so we want to look at what the differences are there. Uniformity is basically when we have agreement on common beliefs and practices, but in a way that it doesn't allow any kind of deviance where we all have to believe exactly the same things down to the minutia. We all have to do the Christian journey the exact same way. We all have to worship the same way, whatever it might be. And this is, I think, the easy path for us. I think it's easy to choose uniformity and conformity because there's very clear boundaries. And we erase all of the conflict out of community. We erase all of the tension in order to have everyone look the same. But I think ultimately this is spiritually dead. If we all do it the same way, we all have the same experiences and the same expectations. Because we all know what the, the natural conclusion of a, of a community that pursues uniformity is, and we call those cults. A, what a cult is, essentially, is that they erase your personality and they implant somebody else's. And before long, we're all wearing the same sneakers and drinking the same Kool-Aid. And we know where that ends up. So we, we're not, you know... Uniformity robs us of our individuality. I think this is why so many of us are afraid to belong, whether it's in a relationship or it's within a larger church setting, because we're afraid if I give myself over to this group of people, somehow it's going to erase my individuality. But I think true unity is actually this idea of our devotion to God and to one another, because out of that place then, diversity actually becomes this asset. Diversity is something that we are able to celebrate, and it actually brings us into deeper understanding of who God is. And the crazy thing about unity and diversity is that it's a very dangerous journey. Like I said, it is so much easier to choose conformity and, and, and mistaking that for unity. And it's a dangerous journey for us to allow there to be a diversity, because that means now there's going to be conversations. 
And maybe there's going to be confrontation. And maybe there's going to be conflict. And we're not going to see things eye to eye. But I think that, that it is necessary for us. Because those are the kind of conversations that continue to walk us along the journey. And, the, and there's a whole different paradigm of love and togetherness when we're talking about unity in diversity. Because we're moving it away from we all agree on the same things and we do it the same way to being devoted to one another. There's this old um, kind of rabbinic joke that these, these two rabbis and they're arguing about a piece, particular piece of scripture for like 30 years. And God looks down from heaven and he says, okay, I've kind of had it with these guys. Like they're, they're missing the point. So the Lord Almighty comes down out of heaven. He says, listen, you guys have been arguing about this scripture for 30 years. Do you want me to just tell you what it's about? And in a rare act of unity, they both turn to the Almighty and they say, who are you to tell us what it means? You go back up to heaven and let us hash it out. And I love that because this is kind of our spiritual heritage, that it was in the wrestling with one another that there's a genuine, lively faith conversation. And too many of us walk around on eggshells because we're afraid that if we disagree with somebody, all of a sudden that breaks the unity that we're supposed to have in community. But true unity in diversity celebrates our individuality. True unity in diversity celebrates our individuality because we bring into it our stories and our personalities and our gifts, and we offer those over to the people around us, and we're blessed in it. And so what we're going to do is um, a little exercise that kind of demonstrates the difference between unity and uniformity. Um, so one of the things that we've been talking about a lot in this series is that, you know, community helps us to really shed our egos. When we start to interact with other people, we have to kind of open up a little bit and be a little vulnerable. So we're going to do this singing exercise to demonstrate it. And I love that we're sitting kind of in a circle now because we can all hear each other a little bit better. So what we're going to do is I'm going to sing a tone. And I want you to match that tone precisely, okay? Everybody in agreement with this? They're like, I, I don't know about this, okay? Remember, it's cantaloupe watermelon. That's what we learned in choir. If you don't want to actually sing, you just go. And it works. But that's not what we're going to do. We're all going to sing. So I'm going to sing this tone, and I want you to match the tone, okay? And so in order to, like, kind of assuage some of our fears, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to sit up straight. Gonna open up your diaphragm, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sing this note. We're gonna see the the, the morning service. They killed this, so I'm I'm hoping you guys will do the same. Ready? So I'm just gonna sing a tone, and I want you guys to match that tone exactly. Okay? Ready? All right, let's do it one more time. All right, good. Now keep your eyes closed. So what we're going to do, I'm going to sing that same tone, but I want you to sing. You can sing with me if you want, but you can also sing a harmony. And that just means finding another tone above or below that tone that kind of matches it. And if you're really bold and courageous, I want you to sing a different melody over that tone, okay? And we're going to see what happens. We're going to try this a couple times, okay? So you can match me. You can find a harmony tone that sits above or below the note that I'm singing, or you can actually sing a melody over top of it. Ready? So everybody open up that diaphragm, sit up straight. Here we go. Oh. All right, let's do it again. Let's see if you can switch it up. Try a different note. 
All right, one more time. Give me a full voice. Very good. You can open your eyes. So unity as uniformity looks like us all singing the same note. And there's a certain amount of beauty in that, you know, if we're all on that same note. But you see, there's something really amazing when we're listening to this foundational note, and then we're each trying to find our place within it. Maybe we go above because your voice is a little higher than mine. Maybe you go below. Or maybe you're finding this melody that kind of weaves in and out of it. And it's amazing because we're all listening to one another and we're seeking to find our place, our best contribution in the thing. And it actually creates this moment that's more beautiful than if we all just sing the same note. And we're all still unified, but it's our individuality that celebrates the diversity in the notes. And the gentleman who brought the bass that last round... Thank you. That was great. Um, but as we move into this section of diversity, I would, I would challenge you to do what I have done in the singing exercise. I am not a singer by any shape or form. And what I did here is I tried to find someone else to lead me on the melody or the harmony section. I was not going to venture there on my own. And once I heard their tone, I jumped in sort of in, in their line and ran behind them and met them where they were. And as, if diversity is not something that you have walked in before, find someone who has been there and run in their line. Run under that shadow as you continually, as we all continually move and grow in something different. And we will we'll sort of circle in to bring together this beautiful melody that we are able to do with this exercise. So we move from unity to diversity. When we're unified in pursuit, diversity opens us up to new ways of walking the journey. So we're going to jump back into this passage from Ephesians. And so the first bit there, Paul was talking about how there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Father, all of these things that unify us. And I love where he goes in verse 7 because there's this little bit of a changeover. He says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I love that that's his conclusion to unity. He says, here's all these things we have in common, but each of us receive grace in the way that Christ has apportioned it. And so what he's kind of telling us there is Christ gives us different forms of grace depending on who we are. He gives us different gifts and passions and personalities that kind of contribute to the larger picture. And so he goes on, he says this, this is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, so there's the diversity example, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so why does Jesus give us a grace that diversifies us? Because it's through diversity that we actually grow in maturity. 
It's through diversity that we actually find unity in God, unity in Christ. And I think that that's like such a beautiful image to us of what it means to be the church. That He uses this example of the, what we call the five-fold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. But it's, it's kind of this larger picture that it's all of our different gifts and our personalities and our stories that we contribute to the whole. And it brings us into this bigger acknowledgement of what God is really like. And so there's a point to the diversity that we have in community because that's the place where we begin to reveal and reflect God to one another. And another similarity between between Ryan and I is we both come from liturgical backgrounds. And so there's the sweetness about the diversity in the church and just even look how we engage with God. And so I love the Catholic church for many reasons, but I also love that there's a reverence for God that you learn in that place. There's a, a connection of you bow before you move and before the altar or as you enter into your seat. And there's this picture of God that I wouldn't have gained in a charismatic church because we just don't approach the Lord the same way. But I also wouldn't have learned the freedom to, as I look in the back, I love to stay in the back for many reasons, but I can look to the side and see people gathering around and fighting on behalf of someone in prayer. Someone else is laid out before the Lord, and someone is journaling as the Lord is speaking to us uniquely in our ways. And that's what the diversity of allowing us to approach the Lord in a way that's different has been such a gift on how we even see him in the denominations of the body. I think it really, if you allow your view to open up, you'll see a facet of God that you may have missed if you only focused in on one area or one kind of expression. And so when we enter into a community that's diverse, um, we don't take our beliefs and practices for granted. You know, a lot of times if we grew up in conformity, we say, well, of course this is the way to do it. Of course these are the 95 theses that we're all supposed to agree on. Of course this is the way that you worship God. But when we encounter the, the stories and the journeys of the other people within this room, we get opened up to these new ideas and these new ways of, of worshiping God and being on this Christian journey. Um, and, and sometimes it changes our perspective. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we, it kind of reinforces what we believe and how we do it, but it takes us deeper in our own journey. Um, or sometimes we learn something that we're able to add on to our own perspective that helps us to grow. Um, but I think that that's, that's the, the ultimate beauty of, of holding our stories and our personalities and our gifts with a certain amount of humility and openness, is that we're able to offer that to one another as a gift. And that kind of brings us to the second point about diversity. Diversity reveals to us a God who cannot be encapsulated in one person's worldview. Thank the Lord that none of us have it all together. I mean, Lord knows I try, and I think what I believe is absolutely right, and I'm doing it the right way, and someday maybe all of you will learn to do it the way that I do it. Oh, guys, come on. I think, I think uniformity is excruciating. It, to, to, for us all to do it exactly the same way, to have the same experiences and the same perspective, it, that, that brings us to a spiritual death within our community. Um, and it's, it's us realizing that none of us have the whole thing. None of us have this whole perspective of what God's really like, um, that we're just here just to give it to other people. 
but we recognize we each have a piece. It's almost like we've been given this diamond, and as you turn the diamond, you're seeing all these different facets as the light reflects off of it in different ways. And that's what happens when we all enter into community um, with a sense of diversity. And so um, looking at another passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he's, he's got this bigger conversation that he's having about um, the, the gifts within the church community and how do we uh, operate in the spiritual gifts, but how do we also treasure the other gifts that people are bringing into the, into the fold? And he says this in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And Paul goes on to use this example of the body to say, you know, we can't all assume that we're all supposed to be ears. That's not how you make a body. But we also don't look and say, well, they're just an elbow, so they don't really belong here. And he challenges all these ways that we judge one another based on our value systems of who we think is in and out, who we think has something to contribute, and who we think doesn't have very much to contribute at all. And he's saying, no, perceive the unity that you have as the body of Christ, but recognize that you've each been called to be a different part of that. And I think that's true certainly for our spiritual gifts, but it's certainly true for so much of the rest of who we are and what we bring into the larger picture. And an overarching anchor that I would love you all to get in that moment is God wastes nothing. Like there is nothing is lost on him. When Ryan first texted me about talking with him, I was like, no, I do not. Diversity to me means race and gender. And I was like, no, there's, I'll talk about anything else but these two things because it is so much of my life. And I was like, just not here. Don't want to do it. But in, as we went through and as we sat in this and as I prayed in it, it boiled down to the reality, to this reality of unity and diversity at its core that it takes a level of maturity for you to really reach into that place that you pass everything you see or you know or you're thinking about and you sit in it. And I love the fact that every feature of you, the way you think, the way you dress, who you are is divine from the Lord placed in you. And it may be on a process of redemption. It may be something that is fully formed, it may be something that's just growing, but he wastes nothing. And for you not to have that open and offered is I will miss out on the beauty of God in this facet if I don't find it in you. And you will miss out on the beauty of God and the reality of who he is if you don't get to see it in me. If I hold back my diversity, if I hold back the reality of who I am, you will miss a part of the face of God and if you that for me, I will also. So as we begin to press into what it means to look at diversity and love, hold that your worth and your story is intentional. Even if moments don't feel intentional, the Lord has never and will never waste any moment that you offer to him. So a lot of us have been um, using the Enneagram over the past year to gain language about how we're wired. Um, and what it, how do we perceive the world and 
how do we put ourselves back out there? And one of the things that the, a lot of the teachers of the Enneagram say is that they call it the nine faces of God or the nine faces of Christ. That if, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's a personality typing system that has a lot of spiritual connotations to it. And the, the essential idea is it's only when these nine different types of people are present within community that we really have the full picture of what Christ is. So you're a five with a six wing, right? And I'm a nine with a one wing. So there's four numbers already present in that. We just need Five more. Public math. Public, public math. Never do it out loud. Isn't that what we said early in the week? Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's such a powerful perspective. I think, you know, when we have that realization very early on in life, hopefully for most of us, that we go, oh, you don't see things the way that I do. But that's not a threat. That's actually an asset because it opens me up to new perspectives. I think that's when we really begin to grow. I remember just about a year ago, I heard um, this man, Pat Morley, speak, and we were having a conversation afterwards. And just kind of offhandedly, he said, I think the modern church almost exclusively caters um, to extroverts. And that really, that really stuck with me. And I began to talk to some of the introverts in our community and say, you know, how do you, how do you maneuver that? Like with the way that we do church, do you feel like there's a space created for you to be able to thrive? And it was such a uh, life-giving conversation to me because I really began to examine how we do things. And to say, are we creating space for both introverts and extroverts to thrive, to feel uh, comforted? But are we also creating spaces that challenge extroverts and challenge introverts to think in other ways? Because that's the place where we actually start to grow. And so when we come in with all of these different personality types, we come in with all of our stories and our experiences, it gives us the fuller picture of what God really looks like. And that brings us to our final piece, charity. Love is the foundation for bold exploration of diversity of life. And so the bigger picture, the bigger vision that the Lord's given us for this year is loving community for bold exploration. So we started the first part of the year really gaining that foundation of, of pursuing God and God's pursuit of us. And now on top of that, we're building this image of what loving community really is. And that's going to give us a platform for in June, we're going to start a series called Bold Exploration. That now we're going to go out into the wide world that God has placed us in and begin to see what it is that he wants to reveal to us there. Um, but we need this loving community to be the foundation for bold exploration. To boldly explore without embracing the unity we have in diversity often leads us down some very dangerous paths. And so I think the question becomes for us, how do we cross over the divide? You know, one of my favorite philosophers, Jean Vanier, tells this story of being uh, at a conference in Chile. And his driver picks him up, and they're driving down this road, and the driver says, look, all the poor people on one side and all the rich people on the other side, and nobody crosses over. The poor people are afraid of the rich people. The rich people are afraid of the poor people. They have fences built. They have guns, and nobody crosses over. I think this is what so often happens to us when we're afraid of diversity. We're afraid of other people's stories that aren't like ours. We're afraid of other people's language or their perspective, that we want to kind of keep this dividing wall of hostility intact. But we actually rob ourselves of the experiences that God might have for us when we're able to cross over and embrace the other perspective. And I think there's two kinds of ways of looking at the acknowledgement of, of diversity and difference. The first is that we can choose what I think is a kind of a failed idea. For example, we talk about being colorblind. Well, I don't see race. And I think that's tragic and I think it's ignorant because it actually robs the other person of their unique identity. 
and it pretends like those things don't really exist. And that can be one form of ignorance. And the other form of ignorance can be where we're so caught up on these differences. We're so caught up on, you know, skin color or gender or age or socioeconomic status, whatever it might be, that it actually prevents us from meaningfully engaging with the other person. One of the biggest compliments that I've received uh, from the church down in Peru that we've partnered with is they said, you know, so often we receive missionaries down here uh, that, that are never able to move past the differences. They come down, it's like, oh my gosh, they speak a different language and they have a different name for this thing and look at the way they do that and look at the way they say this. And they're never fully present with the people in this community. Um, but the teams that we've taken down over the past couple of years are able to step in and that first day, they recognize the differences. They don't pretend those things aren't there. But somehow our people are able to cross over and to say, fundamentally, we're the children of God and we're here to encourage and challenge and equip one another. And I think that is really what it looks like for us to celebrate the diversity that we have. Not choosing the ignorance of, of pretending like these things don't exist, nor the ignorance of conflating them so much that it actually prevents us from loving one another. And I think that act of crossing over really begins in the maturity of knowing yourself. I work with a woman and she is self-proclaimed teenage racist. If you're between 13 and 18, there's like, no, she's gonna cross the road when she sees you, there's like no trust. And the thing I love about her is like, she's up front, she's like, yep, I hate them all. And I was like, I can work with that because <laughs> you know where you are. You have recognized your prejudice and you said, I'm gonna own it and you're either gonna own it and hold it or you're gonna own it, own it and change. And I think very much, especially where we are as a country and in this culture that everything is so politically correct that nothing is offensive, it makes it even harder to do that. But if we want to be truly people who move and cross over, who step into diversity and unity, I have to get to the place and say, you make me uncomfortable. And I need to know why you make me uncomfortable. I need to wrestle within myself if it's something that I can fix or if it's a real danger, stay uncomfortable and keep moving. But I've done the hard work of recognizing where I am and then engage with you, not asking you to change, but asking you to say, all right, so when your daughter turns 14, what are you gonna do about it? Like, how do I meet her where she is? Um, so I think there's this really needed sense that we have to mature as individuals to really fully step in and understand the opportunity to engage in diverse communities. Because I think that's really what we're talking about is maturity or immaturity. You know, there's an immaturity that's a survival skill that we've all learned. Um, that automatically makes these snap judgments about whatever we're presented with. And if you've ever studied, um, you know, sociology or neurology, you know that we have this device in our brains, in our kind of amygdala lizard brain in the back, that, you know, when we lived out on the Serengeti, we go, <gasps> lion, okay, the following four things are about to happen, and I don't want those things to happen, so let's do something about it. And it's this kind of, like, animal reaction that we have when we encounter difference or something that we perceive as a threat. And when we're, when we're little, we still kind of live in that place. We, we oversimplify things in order to survive. We make snap judgments about the people we encounter in order to make it through the day. But a lot of us, unfortunately, we get stuck there. And we enter into adulthood and we still have these prejudices. We still have these immature perspectives of other people. And we turn everything into black and white or Democrat or Republican or rich or poor or whatever it might be. And we prevent ourselves from being able to grow into maturity. 
Because maturity really is us being able to see the nuance of life, to see the nuance in the stories of other people, and to recognize that there's something beautiful there for me to learn and to experience. Do you want to um, tell the story about your small group a couple years ago? So a few years ago, I was in a finance small group, and we learned a lot more about life and a whole lot less about finances. Yes. Um, it was amazing. But there's this, I come from like a family that has allowed me to grow up under extraordinary blessings of financial wise. And so something that I was very used to is my dad has a little, he's got a little Z3 convertible that really only got driven on Saturdays and Sundays and if he was taking my mom on a date. That was the only use of the car. And I remember I said that in a small group and everyone was like, oh. and I was like, no, we don't do this, okay? And it was like this moment of like, that is a waste of money. And I was like, all right. And for me, that car represents drinking coffee with my dad because we would go out for only three things to get coffee, the New York Times, and to get into trouble, is what my mother said the rest of the hours we were out were doing. And so this is this intimate bonding moment with my dad that I love, like learning to drink coffee, reading the Times, going to the cleaners, and then just like cruising. And it was this moment of, all right, there's a part of my story that presses into a place that's not willing to be accepted yet. It comes with just like a, there was a blanket understanding of what having an extra car for weekend drives was for. And that comes from your place, but it was this, I got caught in the middle. I was like, well, we'll just talk about it later. Um, and sort of just backed away from that moment. But it's how do we get to that place, that reaction that I had of pulling back and that reaction that they had of, and say, well, break it down for me. What does that mean? How does your family feel? What, is, what does this look like? And then come back to the root of, we're here all to learn about how to be better stewards of the gifts God has given us. And we wrestle back down to the foundation that we're on, but we both catch our awareness and press into it together and move closer together. And so it was just, it's always such a funny thought to me, but it was just a really interesting moment in my story in this community and with people that I love so dearly. Uh, so yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been so proud about our community as we're growing is continuing to embrace nuance and diversity. Like, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things like that that I think we're learning how to grow out of. There can be an impoverished mindset sometimes in our community of like, well, we're all kind of on the level. We all are just trying to scrape by. And therefore, we don't really create space for people that are, that are well off or like are doing quite well to be in our community. We, in some way, we disdain them. You know, I mean... If I hear another person call our church a hipster church, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Alex? You know, it's like those old, those old things are no longer true, but we're still held to this expectation that this is just a place where cool kids go. And I look out here and I see an amazing diversity of age and socioeconomic status and race and gender and all of these things. And I'm like, we've, we've come so far already. And there's still more for us to go, I, th I think, for sure. But we get to celebrate that and continue on the journey of like shedding these old identities and these, these old barriers and continuing to grow to be more and more what the people of God are really called to be. And ultimately, our core identity is as the beloved of God. Everything else is a gift that we offer to God and to one another. When we recognize that you and I, our core foundation is that we're the beloved children of God, then your story your personality, your gifts, your experiences of God, all of those things become a gift that you're able to offer to him in worship and we're able to offer to one another and we're better for it.
But we need God's vision of his people to give us the divine imagination to know what that looks like in the here and now. There's this really beautiful image in the book of Revelation um, that speaks of, you know, kind of like the day of judgment. And it says um, that, you know, John's up on top of this mountain and he looks out and he sees hundreds of thousands of people from every race and tribe and tongue. And they're all worshiping Jesus in unity. And this is that amazing image of, of where we're headed, the restoration of all things, sometimes it's called. And as the church in the 21st century, we get to call that image back into the present and practice it here and now. That I think that the local church is the place where God gives us the divine imagination to cross over all of these dividing walls of hostility and to recognize at the foundation that we're the beloved children of God. And so we want to take a moment and reflect on this. If you reach underneath your chair, you're going to find a little clipboard with a paper and a pen. And we just want to take a moment to, to each reflect on this question. Who am I? Who am I? What are the, what are the defining markers in my life? What are, what are these words that maybe they sit on top of that identity of being the beloved? And they become, you know, together all of those words. Some of them unite me with people. Some of them divide me from other people. But when they're taken in concert, that means who I am. You know, that I recognize I'm an Irish immigrant. I grew up Anglican. I'm six foot two. I'm a a male, whatever, like these are all gifts that have been given to me in my life to be able to bless you with. But you have all of these things that are blessing to me. So just take a moment and just, just fill that out, write out, who am I? What are the markers that kind of define me? Look at those words again that you just wrote. Are there, is there baggage that comes with any of those words? Do any of those words come to you as a point of shame in your story? Because somebody else has defined those things in the negative sense. Because perhaps that's the thing that God wants to redeem in your story and who you are. He wants to make that the, the beautiful individuality of who you are and not a liability. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come quite literally to the Lord's table and we're going to offer over all of these different identifying markers that we have in our lives, all of the rich diversity that's present within this community. We're going we're gonna to pray. I wrote a liturgy for us tonight um, that kind of celebrates this idea of unity and diversity. And then we're going to go to the table in the back. And I want you to take that sheet and I want you to fold it in half. And you're going to lay it in one of those baskets on the Lord's table as an offering, as an act of worship and saying, Lord, this is who I am and this is how you've crafted me. And I'm choosing to hand it over to you and to my community as a gift. And then you're going to take um, the, the bread and the juice, the blood and the, the body of Christ. And you're going to take that into yourself as a recognition. I'm part of the body of Christ. All my diversity, we're all unified as the body of Christ. So if you want to stand with me and we're going to uh, recite this liturgy, this call and response. Let's pray. Father God, you have unified us in your Son, Jesus. Teach us to live in unity. You have not called us to uniformity. You created us for mercy. We have not always seen others as you see us. We have not always accepted one another for fear of difference. We have not always loved our own stories. As we 
come to your table, may we celebrate the diversity of your family. You bow your heads. O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, give us grace seriously to lay to heart the great dangers we're in by our unhappy divisions. Take away all hatred and prejudice, and whatever else may hinder us from godly union and concord. That as there is but one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so we may be all of one heart and of one soul, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and charity, and may with one mind and one mouth glorify you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's approach the table together.